0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of ILC Podcast Radio. I'll be your host today. My name is Brother Bob Lee, and I'm with our sound engineer, Brother Danny Tirado. Say hello, Danny. Hello, everyone. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited today about this podcast and our special guest that we have here today. We have uh, Brother Dr. Daniel Splash. I'm not sure. Do I call you doctor or, or brother, Daniel? <laughs> it all of it works. All it works so. Okay, so uh, so we'll get that straightened out. But we are real excited uh, today. And, and if you're if you're from Inland Lighthouse Church, you know that we've been really blessed here uh, lately uh, with some great services this past weekend. And, uh, the, the, and definitely avail yourself to those uh, when it's your time. And another one is coming out with scars. So if you go to the Inland Lighthouse website, or if you have our ILC app on your phone, uh, you can definitely uh, avail yourselves of those, and you'll definitely be blessed. And so we're just just real excited. So today, again, we got uh, Brother Blash here, and uh, I'm just going to jump right into it. And uh, we're going to start off. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, how you got into church and maybe when you felt the call to ministry?
1: Yeah, those are two great questions um, I got into church when I was a teenager, maybe 15 or so um, And it was it was very un, I would say unconventional because I wasn't really searching for God um, But some of the social aspects of the church caught my attention well to be very blunt she caught my attention. <laughs> okay. uh, it was it was the young people, and, and particularly there was someone I was interested in, and, and I remember, um, you know, saying that to her, and uh, her response was a great one, and that was, she thought it was really important that I meet her church, her God, and, and she just turned the tables. Um, so, you know, it was exactly what I tell people not to do, you know, it's, um, in terms of flirting with the world, so to speak, and that's not what she was doing, but that's certainly how I, I came in. At my first couple of services, it was all about the social aspect, um, and, and that's what God used to get my attention, and, uh, and he got it, you know, he got it. And so that, it led to, to services and, and, and um, conventions and, and things of that nature, and, and, and eventually I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Um, And that was a start. It was a journey. I never really looked back from that. Uh, Ned, I,
0: real quick, before I ask you how you felt the call to ministry, yeah. uh, I, I do want to say that I did invite Sister Blash here to be with us today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, she couldn't make it. So for the record, uh, she was asked. But she, if you do go to our uh, website and listen to a uh, recent um, uh, recording with Brother Blash, uh, she got to testify a little bit, and it was she She did an awesome job. So she's a great lady. So hopefully uh, you get to hear that.
1: So why don't you tell yeah. about her, Or go ahead and talk about her if you Well, like. well people <laughs> ask me when I tell that story, they say, so was that Sister Blash? Was she the one? And and I said, no, it wasn't. Um, (laughs) Right. So her not being here, you know, uh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes it telling that story a little bit easier. Uh, She, she is a fantastic um, lady and has been my, um, my best friend for over 30 years. And uh, I'm glad she's here with me and wish she could have been here with me today because it adds another piece of it. Um, But in terms of the calling, you know, now that I'm in church, and I've been in church for a long time, uh, I get it. I get what people mean when they say I was called. There's this moment in time, perhaps, when God bids them to do what he's already ordained them to do, and they call that the calling. But for me, it was different. I didn't have the church language behind me. Um, I just felt a passion to tell my peers, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, about my experience. And, And then I the closer I got to God, the more I saw myself kind of straightening out. Um, and I don't mean lifestyle. That happened too. But thought and just how secure I felt and how uh, level and balance I felt in life. And I thought, they don't have this. And I could see my peers floundering. And so it was less about evangelism the way we see it now or I see it now. It was more about, you know, I see my peers struggling. And I don't know a lot but I know how to help them with that part. Um, so I felt a call to reach my peers that later morphed into what now I would call a a call to preach or call to the ministry. Um, but if you ever listen to the preaching, I I tell people, I, I don't think I'm a great preacher. I still don't think I preach. I still minister. I just reach for the lost ones. It's still what I'm doing to this day. Nothing has changed. Um, you know, the platform maybe is bigger, and people think it's preaching, but to me, it's just looking out and seeing a need and going, God, with your help, I think I can meet that need. Mm.
0: Well, you're, you're definitely a great teacher. Um, my wife and I uh, were fortunate enough, it was about a month ago, I guess, uh, on a business trip, went to St. Louis, and we got to attend your, your church, and we were, we were very blessed. Maybe you can describe a little bit about your, your church there and work. Yeah.
1: So, the church is called Fresh Anointing. Um, it's my love. It's the love of my life um, in terms of the work of the kingdom. Uh, we started that church uh, in my basement um, about 19, almost 20 years ago. Um, and I know that date because I have a son who's that age, and so he's our marker. And uh, our thought was a few things. You know, we prayed about where to go, and God sent us to the inner city of St. Louis. And uh, at that point, I felt the Lord saying, this city needs a new birth um, or a fresh birth. And one of my kids says, it's a fresh anointing. And we said, yes, that's what it needs, a fresh anointing. And so we we dove into it and we named the church Fresh Anointing. Um, And again, to this day, it's still the mission. How can we bring the freshest version of Pentecostalism, the apostolic uh, um, um, power the fullness of who God is to whatever extent we can bring it to the city of St. Louis. That's our goal. We think, I think the people I lead, we think together that that will produce fruit and that the off uh, the benefit of that will be better homes, a better city. It'll be the healings of science and the wonders. So we, we have really one aim, have the most apostolic experience possible. And let what happens happens from there. Um, and, and that's kind of what we do. And it's a great city. Um, St. Louis gets, um, doesn't always get the credit it deserves because it, when it shows up in the news, it shows up in the most negative light, the number six most dangerous city or something like that. And, um, but the need, is, the need is there. And uh, one thing I don't want to fail to say, because this is why I'm in St. Louis, Um, God gave me two dreams and in both of the dreams, one more salient than the other, but in both dreams, um, he allowed me to hear people screaming and I knew it was a scream of agony. It's the kind of scream you would scream if you were literally lit on fire. Um, and God said very plainly to me, why didn't you go? It was almost a rebuke, but not really, and because he had not called me. So I, I didn't go because he had not told me to go, but he was calling me. That was that he was bidding me to walk in the calling that was already ordained for my life. Um, and, and so I feel like we, we owe it to that city to be as apostolic as we can and to let them experience it. What they do with it is theirs to decide. But That's what we do. That's who we are. We're in a beautiful part. Well, I think it's beautiful, but it's all in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> if, you, if you drive in, you're like, yeah, this is not beautiful. Um, it's right in the heart of the inner city, what used to be the worst area. Um, but I think it's beautiful. The people are beautiful. The little shops are beautiful. And uh, the Spirit of God is so rich and so alive and so contagious there. Uh, I personally think there will be a great revival in the Midwest, not just the Midwest, but in the Midwest, and I personally believe the, the ignite point will be St. Louis. And I don't think that's just because we're there. I think St. Louis has a lot of special qualities, but certainly one of the reasons is because there's a church committed to being apostolic. Well, you know, like I said, I was I was there about a month ago,
0: and and you you took me around a little bit, and and when I did find the church, but you said that definitely. And how many years have you been there now? Almost twenty. Twenty years that you're seeing changes in the community, and yeah. and I'm telling I, I, kind of along this note, but maybe on a smaller scale. I I remember our bishop saying that uh, he can he could watch out over congregation and see somebody or a part of the church really worshiping, but a, just a person could walk in with kind of a negative or a kind of a down spirit and change a whole little atmosphere, just that little area, and then yeah. all of a sudden people start to sit down, and, and he's watched that kind of stuff, but it, on a bigger scale in a, in a yeah. city, I, I think just your presence there is really going to do great things. That's no, I, I
1: agree. I agree. It's It's been a, a joy, and uh look forward to many years there. Have, have, was at your first church? Because I know you grew up in Michigan area. I grew up in Michigan, but I joined the army really, really early, and so it took me away from the state. Um, but prior to coming to St. Louis, we served in a really small, rural, uh, rural as in one stop sign, um, the bank and the post office were together in a trailer. I mean, very rural uh, region of Missouri, and we served there for nine years. Um, And I served there in the capacity of what we would call today maybe an assistant pastor. Um, And that's where we were prior to that, um, to being in St. Louis. Yeah, I just just
2: have to say, my my kids loved your preaching. Uh, I think the last time you were here, I don't remember when, but it was, um, I believe it was, I'm not sure if it was called Blind the Old Bat, but... (laughs) They love that. seat. they listen oh, to it all the time and they love it. And they're like, oh, he's my, one of my favorite preachers. And I'm like, I've never heard of him before. And so I, we got to hear it and yeah. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. That's, uh, that was my testimony. And it was probably, the title was probably in the middle of your miracle. Yes. Um, and, and there was a section in there that God did a, a, a miracle. Um, and he blinded the understanding of a lady who had confiscated some Bibles we had smuggled into to uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, it was the most amazing thing and, and to watch that and watch those new converts who had just heard me talk about how God blinded a full army of people before. <laughs> and I, I just kind of, you know... I didn't mean it to come out like this when I said, let's just pray that God blinds the old bat. And they started <laughs> chanting, blind the, old, blind the old bat, blind the old bat. It was hilarious. Oh, wow. It was just a moment in time. But uh, God has such a good sense of humor. Um, and he never harmed that lady. God is so good to us. That is awesome. Yes, he is. But he did what he needed to do to help. The work of the Lord keep going, and He blinded her understanding, and we got those Bibles delivered. Uh, amazing! And your kids are very kind, by the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, let, let me
0: lead into this next uh, segment. I want to talk about political correctness, um, mm-hmm. but let me, let me tell you a little, brief little story. I remember when I was a new convert in church, and and I can't remember exactly who was preaching and what they said, but I remember taking, you know, those uh, little uh, giveaway New Testament Bibles? I think they have the Psalms and Proverbs and li- little thing, like things, two, mm-hmm. two to four inches, little pocket size. Well, I, I was brand new to church, and I was working in a manufacturing company. And uh, we, were, we were struggling. We are putting in a new line, new product line. It was a, a spaghetti sc- sauce manufacturing company. And uh, there was a lot of pressure on, on the plant to get the cases up. I think our best day was 3,000 cases uh, a day, and we should have been at 20. Wow. And we And we were struggling, and that was the best day. And we were really struggling. Well, I took that little Bible, and I put it in a control panel um, in, in work. And I remember putting it up there, and... and Again, somehow it came from preaching. I said, "God, this this is gonna do something." I had faith as a new convert. You know, you got to love new converts. We That's believe right. everything. That's
1: right. That's right. <laughs> and
0: I don't know. Now that I've gotten smart, I don't. I don't. Well, no, I'm just kidding. I love my fast. <laughs> I do everything. He says. I'm just teasing. But I remember though putting it in. I I was afraid. I'm thinking, "Oh man, people are gonna know that this was from me because I've been in, in church now and and I, my behavior's changing." And I was a, I was kind of afraid. I like kind of like. You know, Undercover in darkness, I went in there and snuck in there, just kind of threw it in there. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid because of the political... Now, this was over 20 years ago, mm. and it's gotten to... Back then, I was kind of a little, oh, man, am I going to get in trouble for this? Am I going to call the HR office? And now, with the political correctness and things like that, how do you balance church and your work? Can you maybe
1: talk about that? And Sure, sure. Well, I, I think, again, it's an excellent question, and it, it's a, a real dilemma for where we are now, Um, I have a few different roles one of them is totally secular I work as a senior level administrator at at a a prestigious medical college and um, so obviously my actions my behaviors what I do on the job off the job all that is open for some degree of scrutiny Um, to make it more challenging I am the chief diversity officer at the school where I work. Um, well, let me rephrase that because it's not what we call it right now. Uh, I'm a senior, currently I'm the senior, most senior diversity officer. Um, so my job is to think about what's happening on our campus. So um, I've chosen to, to think about that in a couple ways. Who's on our campus and why does that matter? Um, there are 108 nationalities on our campus and, and what is life like for them? so i've had the luxury of choosing the battles i fight um you know we have people on our campus who maybe are um, they they have a disability of some sort and how is life on campus for them so these issues are issues that pretty much everybody can agree on across the spectrum right i also happen to be a part of a church group that has dogma and we believe very and, and absolutes and, and have a, a very strong belief system that I, I not only believe, but I preach and teach without apology or, or any of that. So at the end of the day, I have to know that one day I may be asked to choose uh, or, or forced to choose. And if that happens, it, it happens. The way I've navigated it to date is, you know, no one's going to disagree with the fact that you should, you should love all people. All people, I mean, all people. It doesn't matter what their background, what their persuasion, what their lifestyle is. It doesn't matter one bit to me any more than it matters to Jesus in terms of his love for them. So I can reflect that and be perfectly aligned with God and how he thinks about people and his love and concern for people. Um, And the fact that he doesn't persecute uh, people and he doesn't, even those of us when we fall, um, his chastisement is so gentle and restorative so I gotta take that to work with me because, you know, naturally speaking, there are people that I wouldn't feel that way about, perhaps. Um, and then the other thing I talk about a lot is the human across from me. Forget everything else about the person, or you know, I it doesn't really matter what the uniqueness is. is. There's a human across from me that I've got to think about my words and my actions because I'll, I'll be held accountable. By God, not by the institution or the government, but by God, for how I work with that person. Um, so, so diversity then is that thing. It's that perv- it's that pervasive um, religion of its own, really, mm-hmm. uh, that is that floods through institutions. But to really be diverse, you really need to be more open to everything. If that's how you're going to think about it, then that's how you have to think about it and that includes um, the church experience. I mean, have you ever been in a church that is um, very, very, you know, we would call it like, a, you know, full gospel, you know, a stereotypical black full gospel church? I don't pastor a church like that, although people think I do. <laughs> I, I, I don't, my church is, it's very, very diverse. But, but that, that expressive dogma, there has to be room for that person in the conversation too. So instead of fighting for myself, um, if they were to say, Hey, you know, Dr. Blash, you know, we're really concerned about this area and you, I don't really want to fight for myself, but I know that there are some strong Baptists. There's some Pentecostals in that group and I'm going to fight for them and their right to believe what they want to believe when they leave to, to do what they want to do. And it's also my right. Um, So I'm okay going toe to toe with that, industry um, but it's so pervasive and the rules do not apply equally across the board um, it's open-mindedness and as long as you're not you know in one group or another um, and so i have to be prepared to um, fight that battle one day when it might be mine and i'm okay with that um, if i have to pick don't don't force me to pick but if i have to pick that decision was made at around age 15
0: exactly yeah i'm i'm telling you that it's just on college campuses i i you know i got a grandkid he's in his third or fourth year of college now and some of the stuff that he's you know um having to um do and 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 then the way that they're just trying to mold him and thinking it's 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 crazy and and he's got a I don't want to get the personal, uh, too, too into my stuff, but uh, he's got a class that he just says, you know, I, I just can't do this. You know, like, it had to deal with, like, nude models, and he's and he's got a vision problem, so he'd have to get right up next to this person. So he had a, he had a meeting today with the dean saying, I can't take this class, because the professor said, oh, it's okay. They're just, oh, you got to look at them as just an object. Oh, wow. And and it's, it's crazy. And... And so hopefully he got out of it. I haven't heard the final story today. I'll talk to yeah. him tonight. But it's just amazing that the, you know, but I said, well, just be kind and just, you know, whatever. Just And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll take it to the next level if we have to, but we'll see.
1: And I think that's what parents and churches have to do. I mean, it, it really is about respect. Um, your son in that situation, his rights to think and feel a certain way should be respected the same way they would respect someone else's rights. And that's what you lobby for. And if you've got good people on campus doing this kind of work, they'll lobby for that. Um, It's it's a big if. Uh, But I, I think every Christian in particular, if they really wanna live at a certain lifestyle and they really wanna demonstrate godliness and they wanna demonstrate holiness, they're going to find that it's gonna be harder and harder in our world and jesus warned us about that um so we may have to make decisions but um you know we cross that bridge when we get there yeah Yeah. for some people they're already there you know it's not when they get there they're already there uh kind of along the same
0: lines with work and and preaching you know like again you're you're a doctor now I, i got an appendix that that I need removed. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> wrong need, kind of wrong, doctor. <laughs> wrong kind. But but you are. I want to use this to see if this analogy even works. Is is you, uh, as a heart surgeon, mm. from a spiritual sense. You know, yeah. I think it's Ezekiel. I'll take that stony heart, put it in a heart of flesh. Mm. But. In your, mm. Do you actually do one-on-one counseling with people? Yeah, absolutely. And, okay. Absolutely. And, and so I, I think of a, a pastor, our, our bishop and our pastors, is that's what they're doing. They're working yeah. on a heart. So yeah. they're, in a sense, they're, they're doctors of the heart. Yeah. And that's a key thing. No,
1: that's exactly right. Counseling and preaching have, um, they have something in common. And I think the thing they have in common is that I describe counseling as a bridge from where you are to the foot of the cross. Now, the skill set is getting people there. It's knowing how to read people. It's understanding people. It's compassion. It's patience. It's it's reflecting. It's understanding diagnostic features, indicators. It's all that stuff, the skill set. But at the end of the day, I want to get you from where you are to the foot of the cross. Preaching is the same way. Um, it's it's finding out where you are, um, and typically that's set up in the preaching Um And then it's getting you to the foot of the cross. And so I see these as parallel. I don't see them in competition with one another, but they can be. Um, Many times when there are gifted counselors, um, secular, earthly trained counselors, professionals, people like me, Um, others will try to access those counselors to short circuit the process of going to God himself. Um, So there can be conflict if there's not wisdom involved. The the biggest understanding is to understand that there is a wonderful counselor, and I'm not him. I work for him. (laughs) I I know how to reach him. Um, But beyond that, they're very, very similar, getting people to the foot of the cross. Uh, Preaching, you can do that in a 30-minute, 45-minute, or two-hour sermon. In counseling, you're going to do that one-on-one sessions over multiple, multiple weeks. The way I do that is I do the practical part in session. Here is what's happening. Here's the problem. Maybe here's where the, the miracle needs to take place. Now you have to go to service, go to your church. And that's where the miracle can take place. So we've shown you what needs to be worked on. Now let's get to the great physician and he can actually do the work. So I'm very careful that the work itself, the real work doesn't happen in my office. Uh, Occasionally, we'll have a prayer meeting, the Spirit of the Lord will fall, and something great will happen. But by and large, I want people to have that experience in their church, because at the end of the day, you get rid of your counselor, but you keep your pastor, (laughs) right? You keep the body of Christ. Um, And so I want those dynamic spiritual moments to happen in church, not in my office.
2: Um, Now, with counseling, um, this next one kind of is very close to me, um, maybe as as a veteran myself, um, I was I was in also in Iraq, but in the second part of it, the mm-hmm. uh, Iraqi freedom. And um,
1: thank you for your service. Oh,
2: thank you first, because you you were before me. Um, so, but this uh, with PTSD, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you can counsel people with that, um, but. You know, does it affect not only just say us military personnel, but also just average ordinary people, which I'm assuming it probably does. But um, do you have any advice or anything like that?
1: Yeah, it it might be um, best to first describe PTSD in in layman's terms. Um, So let's do a couple of things. It stands for post traumatic stress syndrome or disorder. So you'll see it um, in, in those, in those uh, ways. Um, it's had many names over the years. Um, and, and typically, typically, it's thought about in terms of military people, first responders, or those who have gone through some sort of life trauma. Uh, we could talk more about the technical part, but most people um, don't deal in the technical part. So let's just talk about layman's terms. PTSD sets in under this condition when you have been stretched emotionally, mentally, and physically beyond what's normal for you for an extended period of time, under threat or duress, that, that triggers PTSD. And, and that's important because if you grow up, and, and the research suggests this, um, and I know practically it's true, if you grow up in an inner city where you hear gunshots um, all the time, and, and four of your best friends were gunned down, and, and et cetera, and that's your lifestyle, and then you go off to war, those children, by and large, uh, those folks who experience that lifestyle as as children, they come back with less PTSD or a lower... Um, uh, level of PTSD if I can say it like that. It's not technically accurate, but I think it makes sense in terms of practical language. The, the person that's never, you know, maybe they, they never really touched a gun and they would never hurt a thing, but ends up in the military and has to be forced in a situation when their, their life is threatened. Um, you know, that, that's such a stretch for them. Um, and then to think of having to actually take another person's life and what that means, it stretches the psyche, it stretches, it stretches the spirit way further than it's ever been stretched before. When they come back, it's not like a, a rubber band that just comes right back in shape. We're, we're humans. Uh, it doesn't come right back in shape. And, and, and whatever shape it comes back in, it, it comes back into the family it left. He or she left that family. They kind of expect that you'll come back in the same shape with the same life understanding experiences and you don't and that's true if you were on the front lines and you saw good friends die or you were just shipped off or potentially if you just had the threat of being shipped off um, so so we've seen PTSD outside of that um, group of people for instance um, terrorist attacks in the United States 911 uh, it was reported that people experienced the um, PTSD like. Um, symptoms as far as California, um, just the, you know, just a threat. So it's about how different the environment is, how long you're exposed in that environment. Um, that is what produces kind of the shock to the system. Um, there's a portion of the brain. Um, called the cannabodis region that has to do with um, how we store long-term memories around trauma. And that portion of the brain is very significant to the research around PTSD um, and, and and connected to that, the Spirit of the Lord is, is very uh, powerful in how we think about PTSD because the Holy Ghost is um, the only thing that I know of that I've ever heard of Speaking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Ghost, especially the speaking in tongues, that engaging the spirit, that that touches the full brain. It's also the only thing that is powerful enough and strong enough to overwhelm the thing that was overwhelming without producing trauma. Um, And that's key, you know. We used to take military soldiers back to the battlefield, you know, when, after the battle was over a couple of years later, we'd take them back and, you know, let them experience walking around and being safe and, and give them enough trauma to kind of reawaken and then calm what was going on underneath. But that's not powerful enough. It, the only way to really meet them where they are is to hit them with something super powerful, actually more powerful than the experience they went through, but you would damage them. The Holy Ghost, however, is controlled power. It's more power than anything else in the universe and it can come right into us. It overwhelms the memory The sensory experience, the physical experience. I mean, you talk in tongues and language you never learn. It overwhelms all of the senses more than the actual trauma itself could. And what's beautiful about it is we can be exposed to that every single day. So my best advice to someone who is spirit-filled and also has experienced any of that, trauma in life, is to have frequent and constant exposure to the Spirit of the Lord um, and just let him chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it. He won't just make you what you used to be. He'll make you better than you used to be. Only God can do that. Yeah, I
0: think... Uh um, I think you might have talked to Bishop Booker about this slightly uh, when he preached a message, only a passion can conquer a passion. Well, yeah. Did you guys have that <laughs> no, conversation?
1: Oh. No, no. Uh, he, he, uh, he mentioned that to me okay. last night, actually, and I'd never heard that before. Um, but that's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. And what I do, I, I preach the message somewhere around this issue of PTSD. And only a passion can conquer a passion I I addressed the exact same thing, but on the neurological level, and basically said only a larger shock can overwhelm another shock. It was it was a parallel message, um, but only um, in terms of um, the neurology of the brain. You know, uh, when you
0: mentioned the the, the brain, and it, it, this is taking me back. Now I may not have the details right, but in a biochemistry class I had in college. Um, they They talked about um the bone doctor and mm. these tribes where if the you know and these people where if the uh, the bone doctor pointed a bone, it could be a perfectly healthy twenty two year old individual and say you're gonna die um, they believed it so much that it, I think it was their parasympathetic nervous system or mm-hmm. something shut down basically yeah. and within a week these people would would die because their body would just go and, under so much stress, I think of this as it's kind of, I mean, there was no real traumatic, I guess if someone says you're going to die in seven days, that's pretty traumatic. Pretty traumatic. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Now the, the power, uh, that sort of power is real. Um, and imagine that on a whole nother level and that's what the spirit produces. Um, it's amazing, but to that, to your point, that whole notion of taking the bone and pointing it is based on faith you've got to have faith that this stuff is going to really work. And so connecting the faith portion of that back to what I said about you know being exposed to the Spirit of God, you can't go in the Spirit of God with your arms crossed thinking that this won't help or, okay, God, you owe me something because of what I suffered, so do your magic. It's not that. If you don't believe, if there's no faith, then, then it, it's not going to work for you. But if there is faith, And that's why I think constant exposure because your faith increases. God doesn't increase. He's already big. He does not, he's as big as he's ever going to get, but your faith in him, you know, increases. And as a result, he gets bigger to you and He gets bigger to the things that overwhelm you. So um, I I have a heart for people um, who have served or have been through trauma. This would include um, victims of violent crimes, Um, muggings, rape, anyone, military folks, um, you know, their world got turned upside down and then they got put back in the world, you know? So when you look at them, they look like they're right side up, but something in them is really not. Um, I I remember for instance, after I came back from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia and I had what I would consider a relatively, um, um, It just didn't feel crazy traumatic. Uh, There were some moments, there were some moments that, that were just overwhelming. But I felt like I had lots of support. I was always in prayer and in church. The Spirit of God was just so heavy on my life then that he protected me still coming back and standing um, in line or sitting in Starbucks and watching someone pay $5 for a cup of coffee and then complaining that the temperature was not right. I couldn't relate to that stuff. I mean, couldn't relate to it. I just, I, I just, uh, I, I just would shake my head and just think stupid. You're kidding, right? Find something to, t- that really matters. And it wasn't just a bad attitude. It was the, the, the contrast of what you, where you've been and where you are now and your body moved faster than your, than your mind and your psyche could move. So a portion of you is still over in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, you know, ducking and wondering what's going on. The other portion of you is watching someone buy a latte, a latte, you know, from a cup that's small, but it's called tall. I mean, you're just shaking your head, right? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, even the the things of life that are small and precious they they seem so mundane and and, and uh not important, so it takes time to readjust to um to you know civilian life uh, but you're never the same and I'm not sure you're supposed to be you know
0: well uh I- like you mentioned, uh, coming out with the scars, um, yeah. maybe a different kind. Yeah. But I think that we need to be, um, as ministers to the lost, uh, if we want to be evangelists. we need to be able to be vulnerable and share our scars. Cause none of us are perfect. I, That's right. I, I loved your message the other night. And, uh, I know that, um, uh, if, if I feel that when new, new, uh, uh, visitors are coming to the church and they start talking, uh, they look around, I see them kind of like hide, maybe a tattoo or something mm-hmm. or, or whatever. And they, you know, they feel like they don't belong, I say, Hey. I tell them my story, you know, for 33 years, drinking, drugging, and, and, you know, until I got in church, and I I look at, you know, wasting so much time. I go, hey, you know, they, you know, I I mean, I never had that concept. I was talking to Danny before, you know, earlier today. I said, you know, I I don't think I thought of people as being perfect. I guess I maybe knew that, you know, a little bit about church, but there's probably people that come in and see everybody's perfect and stuff, so I think we need to be vulnerable and show those, not be afraid to you know, tell people our experiences.
1: It's, it's a powerful part of your testimony. And we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, the blood of the blood of the lamb is efficacious. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's always fully potent. Our testimony on the hand, we can give them the light version if we're not careful, but if they're both potent, uh, that's, that's a powerful weapon. It's a weapon. And we ought not leave our weapons, you know, half cocked, um, or discard them. We need to use every single weapon we have. You know, um, this,
2: your message last night uh, is, I, I'm actually um, talking to somebody right now. Uh, She's younger, uh, a sister here in the church, and she's going through issues. Um, and last night you you're preaching i told her i said see god was talking cuz we were talking before service about her you know what she's going through and i said god just just go, you know where to go you know when you when when things like this happen i said god loves you and he's going to he's going to show you mm-hmm. and last night when you preached that i i after church i said see i told you god loves you he knew what yeah. you're going through right now and you know i i'm similar issues that, that in the prior past that I had um, same thing with uh, what she's going through, and I said, you know, let me share a little bit of what happened. My like how you said my scars, and um, show you how God helped me out of it, and that's mm. and so I'm I'm mm. I'm trying to help her, you know, to to just keep going and and just give give it all yeah. to God and just you know don't don't give up. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. You know, think about this, and I I, I I don't want to derail us, but but think about this: when when Jesus Jesus his 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 earthly ministry is so powerful, and he's he's with these men, and and they believe in him, but he's doing he's blown their mind, and 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 he hangs on the cross and he dies, then he gets up, and, and 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 he shows up again. They're like, what in the world is this? And and to convince one person, he said here touch these scars. I mean, if, if, if we could get people to not hide their scars, uh, he didn't. You know, and and then we can begin the conversation, not so much about our scars, but about His. You know how powerful that is? Our scars will motivate you, encourage you, let you know you can make it, tell you that we've made it, it's powerful. His scars, my God in heaven, His scars redeemed us. His scars, His stripes He took, those scars are for our healing. He hung on the cross for our salvation. And to have Jesus say to someone here, take your hand, Put it in my and your finger. Put it in my hands and in my side. I mean, it's what he was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, so what we do for a person, he did for the world. <laughs> oh man, uh, that's so exciting, right? That's uh, so exciting. That's so crazy. we gotta do it. We gotta, we gotta do it. But ultimately, get off your scars and get on the conversation of his, and then you're in the good stuff.
0: Amen. You know, it's hard sometimes. Somebody recently just preached. You know, sometimes when we're we're in the mid when we're in the middle of the battle and going through something and we're sitting there, Why God, why God? Mm. Somebody preached reason, maybe it was bishop or pastor, that sometimes we just go through it so that somewhere down the road we're gonna help somebody and let them know <sighs> yes. that we got through mm. that same thing and oh god, that's why you put me through that and I mean, it's almost if you think of it one way, you can think, well, that's kind of cruel when we threw it. But then again, though, I mean, if, yeah. we, if we're mature, as mature Christians are want and want to be, then we're going to endure it. We've got to endure it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and think about this. It's as if God is saying, because Job went through something. Exactly. It's as if God is going, who can I trust? Who can I really trust with this? You. You're the one. And if he thinks you're the one, you're the one, but there's a reason he chose you. Job went through something very similar for, really, he didn't do anything wrong, but he was picked. I know the devil played a part in that, but it was God who said, have you considered my servant Job? He was like, wait a sec, who is faithful? Who is faithful? Who can I pick? All I want. All I want is to be in that toolbox. So one day God says, all right, who can I choose? There it is, Daniel Blash. Now, I've been that person and let me tell you, it doesn't feel good. (laughs) It it doesn't feel good. And it takes somebody to come and remind you that, hey, buddy, he picked you because he trusted you, that you would be able to handle this. And that helps sometimes to hear that and go, okay, God, um, you know what you're doing, I still don't, but you know what you're doing. Um, yeah. Have you considered my servant Bob Lee? Have you considered my servant Danny? Yeah. Yeah. I trust them enough. They'll do well with this. Beautiful. I never
2: thought of it that way. Yeah.
1: Kind of. hmm.
0: Well, we've got a couple, couple little things here. We're going to maybe, uh, start to wind this down. Um, Mm -hmm. So you got married at a, at a young age. Uh, you can tell people how old you <laughs> about were. About 12. <laughs> about 12 preteen. Uh, back in the day, that's the way they did it. Um, but maybe, uh, maybe you can talk about, I don't know, if you counsel young people and give advice for people. I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't, didn't get married. I wasn't in church then. I was 33, I guess, when I got married. And so I kind of waited a while. Um, but I, it seems like there's a pressure to young people and just, yeah. it's a different, we're living in a different world and I don't know how people, I look at, I struggle and, and I wish I had, uh, I don't know, Bezos' money to give out to people to help them. Cause I look at these people st- working and... You know, know they're probably making ten dollars an hour. How are they going to do it and raise a family yeah. here in California, St. Louis? It's not cheap either. Right. But tell us some, some advice yeah. you might have for young people and and uh, young marrieds and how you how you survived.
1: Well, and that's a good. Uh, it's a good word. Survive. Survive it. Um, you know, someone should just write the words the word "survive it" in somewhere and post it in your house because those are the key words. Um, about life really, not just about marriage, so yeah, I, I got uh, married really early. I graduated high school when I was very young. Um, because I skipped a couple grades along the way, mm. I was in this program, and basically, it wasn't because I was smart, the, the place was just overcrowded. Uh, that's that's how I must tell the story. <laughs> and and uh, they decided, you know, we got to thin out first grade who can do second grade work because we're going to bump them. And on that particular day I could do second grade work. So I got bumped up a couple of times, um, and graduate high school quite early. Um, I turned 17, 18 in the army in basic training. Um, I think I turned, yeah, probably 17, 17 or 18. And within a few months they, they shipped me off to Germany and I met my wife. Um, you know, maybe four or five months after that. Uh, And and then we got married. So yeah, Uh, it was, it was, uh, I was 18 when we got married. So that's very young. And to see that today just terrifies me. There's no 18 year old that should be getting married uh, today. It terrifies me to think of it. Uh, But I have no credibility in that area because right, I was one of those kids. I will say this, I knew at 13, what I wanted to do in life. Roughly what I wanted to do. I knew at 14, 15, roughly who I wanted to marry. Now, I didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and so these decisions weren't spirit informed, but in terms of maturity and, and kind of life, I just, I was an early bloomer. So I went through midlife crises like at age 35. <laughs> yeah, I was just an early, early bloomer, and so um, I, I knew. What I didn't want in a family because I had seen that in my own home growing up in a single parent home. Um, so that was the foundation. These are the 10 things I don't want to ever happen in my home. And so I'm going to avoid those things. You know, I was a new convert. So I'd gotten the Holy Ghost when I was just before I was 16. So when I got married, I had the Holy Ghost for a couple years by that time. It was difficult, but not as difficult as it could have been. I was a soldier, which meant the army took care of my housing, um, my clothes. Uh, they they subsidized so that we weren't uh, destitute, or if we were, we could still eat. Um, and so that helped. The elders in our church came around and basically For me, I mean, there was – they didn't call it this. No one ever said, hey, dude, we're basically parenting you because you need it. But they came around and really supported My wife and I were in a Bible study for four years after we got married, every Friday night. Now, it was a bunch of us in the Bible study because the church only met one time on Sunday in Germany at 2 o'clock. One of the elders thought that's not enough, and he opened his home, and every Friday night – Um, there was, we were there in a Bible study and I'll never forget this. Um, the, the elder's wife would stand at the door and she would say goodbye to everyone. And she would say to me, she says, Daniel, you're a good dad. Because by that time, by the time, you know, we had kids right away. So we, we were married and 10 months later, my wife was pregnant. So we had kids right away. And then 11, month, 11, month, 11 months later, she had another child. I thought, you need to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> she just kept, she kept having them. Um, you know, so, so we have daughters who are 11 months apart, 11 and a half months apart. Uh, so we have got these two little kids and, and I'm a brand new dad. And, and she would say things. She would say, you know what, you're a good dad. Every single Friday for the first year, I'd hardly make eye contact with her, although I thought I was a pretty good dad. But about the second year, I'd make eye contact with her and I would I would say the words in my head that she was saying out loud. Man, by the third year, I was a good dad. I knew I was a good dad. She had told me enough and I believed it. So these people taught us finances, they taught us um, how to disagree and not tear each other down. They taught us about the home, about what we let in our home and what we don't and all these things. So my best advice to young couples is to remember you're very, very good at being single, but now you're married and so you're a novice all over again. Surround yourself with successful mentors who will keep teaching you it took you 12 years to get through high school before you decided, okay, or to get through school before you said, okay, I've got a pretty decent education. That was school. How many years will it take you to get your head wrapped around marriage and family? You know, so give yourself four or five or six or seven or eight years to let people pour into your life and mentor you and read books about marriage and go to marriage conferences. Um, and, and don't be afraid to make new connections with people who are successful. Uh, you know, you just watch who you take advice from. You know, make sure that um, the person is where you want to be uh, before you take advice from them. So just so much. Um, if I had to do it over again, I would marry that lady. I would marry her. I would do it exactly the way we did it then. But if I were counseling someone else, um, I would tell them this statistics say without the Holy Ghost, if you are over 25, when you get married, if you have not lived together, if you have not slept together, and if you have at least two years of college, the divorce rate is 25% without the Holy Ghost you add the Holy Ghost and that number would have to go down because the Holy Ghost is, it's, it's another power, you know? So it doesn't hurt to wait a little longer. Um, it, it's important that you not spoil the riches of marriage by living together or um, having sexual relations together and then take some time to really, you know, educate yourself. I, I would say maybe from a Christian source, uh, a Bible-based source, but that's the, uh, that. those are the stats around marriage and family um, in the United States.
0: Well, that's that's some great advice. I know we got some granddaughters coming up. And, uh, one's gonna be senior next year, mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. boys are starting to become important <laughs> for some reason,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but man, I, I just look at, my wife and I do, by, by no means, we're no experts, but we, we try. We do some premarital counseling here at the church. And, awesome. And, uh, and just, the, the biggest advice we give them is just keep coming to church. You yeah. know, we got such great ministry here. And luckily, some of the people we've done are, you know, both parents are into ministry. And so mm. that helps. Like, oh, you guys are raised in church. You guys are probably teaching us some things. But just loving God and just yeah. staying in church, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah. Like you said, it's it's a work. It, church, yeah. you know, or getting married, it, it's, it's, it's a full-time mm-hmm. job. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, my wife isn't here, but if she were here, she would probably remind people that, the Bible is the referee of life. It is definitely the referee in the marriage. The pastor may not always be there, but the Word of God, if two people will... As she said this to me one night. She says, Dear, do you know why we, we have a good marriage? I said, Well, basically, because I, I listen to you. <laughs> I do what you tell me to do. No, that's not true. Um, I, I said, Why? She says, Well, because you reverence the Word of God and you will let the Word of God override you. And I reverence the Word of God, and I will let the Word of God override me. So when we don't agree, we are both willing to go to the Word and let it referee us, not with our interpretations twisted around it, and we'll both agree to give ourselves to whatever the Word says. And the Word of God is good, it's right, and it speaks not just to the truth of the matter, but to the heart of the matter, not just to who's right, but whose attitude is right. And so sometimes I know I'm right. And it's, it's, I got word to bag it up, but my attitude stinks. See the word will deal with me. Right. And so I have to humble myself, um, and and work with the word. So I, I think my wife would probably say that that's important. Um, and being each other's best friends. Um, you look around, man, people come and people go, um, You just never know you just never know how life will play out you got to pick someone who's always going to be there and that needs to be your spouse and the spouses need to commit to each other Um, i have had the reason bishop booker is my pastor is because my pastor died Uh, as a matter of fact i have had maybe four pastors and they've all died I'm hard on pastors, Clearly, (laughs) poor guy. He has no idea what he's getting himself in. But, you know, they they pass away, old age, uh, one with sickness. But these people pass from your life, and it's it's tragic. Um, We have moved churches when we were in the military, moved around. Those people pass. It's tragic. My wife is there. She is there, and you need to honor that. You know, honor that. I'm certainly not trying to say that you you don't honor the people in your environment and, and certainly your leaders, but there is a commitment to that spouse. Um, and you need to commit to making that person your best friend. They're gonna be there in sickness and in health. They're gonna be there in richer for poorer, they're gonna be there until death do your part, and they're the only person on the planet who's made that promise to you, and that should count for something.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Hmm. Well, that's some, that's some great advice. Um, Danny might have to edit that part out before Sister Booker hears that mm-hmm. uh, about <laughs> being tough on pastors. <laughs> uh, so you don't want to <laughs> cause any trouble there. Well, br- Brother Blash, I, I, yeah, this has been a wonderful time. Uh, I don't know if you have any final Parting words. I know we're going to have a leadership class later on tonight. Excited we're excited about that. About that. Uh, can you give me some answers to some many questions that <laughs> <or something laughs> so I, could look, I could look good in the, in that class tonight? But we've just oh. we really enjoyed having yes. you, and, and yeah. uh, we're, we wish we could have you more because I, I think we could have parts two, three, and four probably keep going. But.
1: Well, thank you. I, I'm not going to make a plug for podcasts, but I, I could make a plug for podcasts. Um, um, but instead, what I'd like to say is, um, first of all, the questions were excellent questions. My, uh, my perspective is my vantage point. Um, it's not absolute word. Um, it's my vantage point. And as I'm growing and developing, if you ask me these questions 10 years from now, you're going to get different answers. So, you know, there are other people out there who are really good at this work and they they may feel slightly different about some of this stuff. And I think it's important to listen there as well. Um, I don't want to hold myself up as a final answer on anything, but I do know who the final answer is. And uh, I'm very convinced about that. So uh, I've I've enjoyed it. Hope it's been helpful. And uh, I appreciate the ministry um, that you all are doing right now.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thank and you. My Um All right. For those who uh, like to leave a comment, questions, or concerns, you can go ahead and email us at podcast at inlandlighthouse.com. Once again, that's podcast at inlandlighthouse.com. And uh, we'll try to get back with you guys if we can. Um, and once again, we want to thank you for joining us today. And we'll see you guys next time.